Hey guys, welcome to The Call, men's Bible study with men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck. I'm your host, Jeremy, and we're so glad to have you join us for part three in our series of My Disciple. Now I'm greeting you today from California, the land of fruits and nuts. And I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about literal fruits and nuts. Now it may seem silly, but if I ask you, what kind of fruit does an apple tree produce? You know, you would laugh at me and say, hey dummy, it's apples. We can answer that question so quickly and confidently for one reason. The fruit always reflects the nature of the tree. You know, another way of saying it is that the fruit always reflects the source. Now, when Jesus talks about his disciples, he describes them as branches built to produce a certain kind of fruit that reflects the nature of himself, the source. That's how he knows there's a true connection. And that's what we're talking about today in part three of My Disciple. Now, before we join Kenny, please take a moment to share this message. Now let's join Kenny live from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California for part three of My Disciple. Good morning, men. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it up to John chapter 15. We are in part three of this series called My Disciple. And uh, I'm going to start off the way I've started off each uh each part of this series, you might not know the names Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus, but perhaps you know their stage name, which is Millie Vanilli. You guys remember Millie Vanilli, right? Rising pop duo out of Germany, right? They won the Grammy Award in 1988 for Girl You Know It's True. They're, they're on a rocket ship to fame and fortune in the music industry. It's all looking great until... They're doing a live performance in Connecticut, and in the middle of their hit song, Girl, You Know It's True, the recording jams, and it's revealed that they were lip-syncing the whole time. And um, so the truth comes out, they never sang one of their songs. They were actually a stage creation of their manager who created an image, and man, did they ever have the look, didn't they? I mean, they were tall, handsome, they had the dreads, they could dance, they had the moves, uh, they, they had everything on stage, but they couldn't sing a lick, so they used the vocal talents of other people in all their productions, and every performance they ever did was lip syncing. And so when that came out, they lost their Grammy, of course, and then 26 lawsuits uh, were, were, were filed, but hey man, they had to look. They had the look. Everyone wanted to know better, right? And uh, in this series, we're, we're looking at it called My Disciple. Uh, have you ever said to yourself, man, is that, is that a dude a Christian? You just go, man, is that dude a Christian? And we do the same thing. We look at the appearance. They got the God talk down. They, um, they have, might have a Bible. They might be at a men's Bible study. They might be at church, and, and they've got all the trappings of what a disciple, a real follower, a real friend of Jesus uh, is, but the question is not, how do I know that person is a disciple and a friend and a follower of Jesus? The question is, how does Jesus define it? That's what we're doing in this series, because Jesus would make these statements that went like this, you're truly my disciple if, or you're really my disciple if, or you cannot be my disciple if, and so that's what we're looking at in this series. We're looking at the statements of Jesus that really define his disciple. And so in part one, we did uh, uh, that a disciple of Jesus holds to my teaching, John 8, 31 and 32. 
If you hold to my teaching, you're truly my disciple. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The first phrase defines what a disciple is. You hold to the teachings of Jesus. That's why Jesus would say things like, why do you call me, there's a claim, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? And so that, that was part one. Part two is, you're really my disciple if you have love one for the other. All right? That's how people will really know that you're his disciple. Okay? And then we looked at how Jesus loves, that he loves courageously, that he loves selflessly, that he loves sacrificially. And that if we're really a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be a positive and effective consequence on the people around us. They're going to feel more loved. That's how we know we're a disciple. Now, in part three, we're going to look at Jesus saying that we show ourselves to be disciples when we abide in Christ and produce fruit. Let's say those two things. Abide in Christ and produce fruit. Yeah, that's what he says. You're going to show yourself to be my disciple. So we're going to do what we've done uh, the last two times. We're going to define what disciple is. We're going to look at a little context, God's heart, and then we're going to dive in to the most obvious sign of a disciple. Now, a disciple is, and if you're with us in the room, look at your notes, is the one who accepts, follows, and personally advances the teachings of another. That is a disciple. They're a convinced follower. The Greek word is methetes. It means you're a learner or a pupil. Now, if you really want to get God's energy going, you read the Bible, God responds with high energy whenever there's a counterfeit. And the first time he responds with a lot of energy, we see in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, right? Why? Because they're gods that are not gods. Look at what it says in Isaiah on this theme of God having energy. He says, remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I what? Please. I do all that I please. You want to get God's energy going? Man, start worshiping counterfeit gods. And the reason he gets his energy going is because he's being impersonated. But secondly, when you worship counterfeit gods and false gods and idols, gods that are not gods, you suffer. Because they cannot deliver what God can deliver. In your life, the one true God. And then the other area which relates to this whole idea of counterfeits is, is call yourself a follower with the wrong motives. In, in Isaiah chapter 48, just a couple pages later, God says this. Listen to this, descendants of Jacob. You who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah. You who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel. Let's finish it together. But not in truth or righteousness, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. If you want to know two things that trigger God, write this down. Counterfeit gods and counterfeit followers. Counterfeit gods and counterfeit followers. Just like the, the music world felt betrayed when Rob and Fab, right, presented themselves as one thing and then they were exposed as non-artists, all right? God feels, you know, the same way when it comes to him and people who worship counterfeit gods. Why? Because they're impersonating him and they suffer when they worship idols and counterfeit gods. Secondly, 
uh, God's energy comes up uh, on the issue of counterfeit followers. Now, Jesus in the New Testament, he quotes Isaiah, right? The three, the three books that Jesus quotes from the most are Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. And so here Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, he quotes Isaiah. Let's read it together. Ready? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's how God works. God is God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He sees past externals. He goes right to the heart. When you watch Jesus in the New Testament, he goes right past the externals and appearances and goes right to the heart. He's, he's the best cardiologist in the world. He can see right through to your true motives and to your true heart and your true passions and your true commitment. And that should make you feel great or terrify you because God sees the real you. And so what we're gonna look at this morning is we're gonna look at the most obvious sign of a disciple. And I wanna set this up by just saying if you're with us in Laguna Hills, California, you're in California, which is the bumper crop, fruit producing, world servicing place. It's the land of fruits and nuts. And I'm not talking about people. All right. This is the land of fruits and nuts. I mean, we produce. And, you know, if I were to ask you, uh, you know, what 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 kind of fruit does a peach tree produce? You're like, well, dummy peaches, you know, or apples produce ap apple trees produce apples. The 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 obvious sign of an obvious connection is what comes off the branch, right? So that's how we really know. It's just a regular tree, and we're like, what kind of tree is that? We don't know, really. But then we look to the branch, and we kind of follow the branch out, and we go, oh, there's that juicy peach, or there's that apple, or there's almonds, or, or whatever. And, and to build the picture of a true disciple, Jesus takes this picture of vine and branch, and he talks about what it means to be a true disciple. In John chapter 15, verses 4 through 11, he says this, Remain in me, so, also, so I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Might want to circle that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's finish this, this passage together. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, there's a picture of wholeness, of a true connection, of true life going from the source to the branch, the branch produces the fruit. And Jesus says, this is what I do. Just like I remain in the Father's love and keep the Father's commands, I have this true connection that produces true fruit. And so that's, that's kind of the theme here. Write that down. True connection meaning, means true fruit. 
Now, you could be watching this, and you could be a Christian, and you claim a connection uh, to Jesus. A lot of times I ask Christians, if, if, if apart from Jesus you can do nothing, and if apart from Jesus you can't bear fruit, what is the thing in your life that breaks that connection? Where do you find yourself going, oh man, I'm not bearing fruit anymore? This issue, this attitude, this action, this severs my connection. And others of you might be watching and you're going, man, I really want a connection with Jesus. So let's look at Jesus and how he abides and remains in God. Let's look at how he lives because that's what he says. He said, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his left. Let's look at abiding behaviors and then let's put ourselves through the grid and let's see if we are abiding in Christ and this is what we've done every time. You take an inventory. It's just sort of like, you know, you put your life through the God's words MRI, and then it, it gets put up onto the screen. And let God's Spirit speak to you uh, this morning. So let's look at the abiding behaviors right now that produce fruit that come right out of Jesus' life. And the first abiding behavior is I connect physically. Write that down. I connect physically. Again, branch and vine. Right? Jesus said this in Luke 5, 15 and 16. Let's read together. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus physically, in the midst of his busy life, in the midst, just like us, there were, there were demands on his time. There were people making demands of him. There was activities around him. And even as he moved in authority and power and started casting out impure spirits, started touching people and healing them, and he said these amazing things which really drew people, that created crowds, crowds created demands. And in the middle of his crowding, crowded and demanding life, what did Jesus do? He withdrew. He withdrew physically to a space where he could connect with God where he could remain in God, just as he could remain in the Father's love. Now, we've talked about this a lot. If you come to this study or participate in this study online, we talk about this a lot. We talk about how God desires to have a place where him and you get together on a regular basis. Now, in the Old Testament, they call this place the tent of meeting, where in, in Exodus, God says, and you will establish Okay, key word is establish. Everybody say establish. Establish. So you will establish the tent of meeting and there I will meet with you and speak with you. So there's, there's God himself saying, you know what, Moses, you're gonna establish a meeting place and I wanna meet with you there and speak with you there. Question, where is your tent of meeting? Because God wants to meet with you and he wants to speak with you. Maybe it's in your car in the parking slot before you go to work. That can be a tent of meeting. Maybe it's that favorite chair of yours with a cup of coffee. All right, you wake up and you get ready, and before you get in the car to head off into your crowded, busy, demanding life, maybe you, your tent of meeting is in your favorite chair and with your Bible and a little reading light, and that's where you are. Maybe it's at the office before everybody comes in. Maybe it's at a Starbucks maybe with some, some music on or something like that where you're me. doesn't matter the location. Location doesn't, doesn't mean anything to God. What, what's meaningful to God is that you have a place where he can meet with you and speak with you. And man, when God issues an invitation like that, 
only a moron, right, would, would say no to an invitation. Like, God says, I want to meet with you, and I want to speak with you, establish a place where we can get together, and I can talk, and we can have a dialogue, and I can talk to you, and you can talk back to me based on what I say to you. So that's the first abiding behavior. I connect physically. And then when I connect with God and his word, I meditate deeply. Write that down. I meditate deeply. You read the Bible. Bible is, this is one of the biggest themes of the Bible. I mean, Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, that doesn't cease to yield fruit in its season. And in whatever he does, he what? Prospers. He prospers. You see that picture? Again, it's like a tree that's feeding. It's got roots. It's planted by streams of water. There's a source of life. It feeds into the roots of the tree and it goes out to the branches that have leaves and the leaves are always green and they don't wither. Why? Because there's this strong rooting and this strong connection to the source of life. And that's what it means to meditate deeply. It means to think deeply and continuously. All right, that's what meditate means. Let's say that together. Think deeply and continuously. Say it again. Think deeply and continuously on what God says. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this. Talk about my ribs, right? You like ribs? It's America, remember that. All right, ribs, we love ribs, right? So I have these ribs I make. There's two cups of soy sauce and a cup of fresh lemon juice and 24 ounces of beer and black pepper and garlic and get those, get that rack of ribs from Costco and you cut them all up and you put them in to the marinade, keyword. And then what begins is the process of marination. Okay, so it's soaking in the marinade. The marinade penetrates the meat the, the meat takes on the character of the marinade. There's a connection between marination and meditation. The more you soak and meditate in this book, you take on the very character of Jesus Christ. Question, how's your, what's, what's the main ingredient of your mental marination? Are you taking on the character of Jesus? Is his life transferring into you? Is it soaking into you, all right? Or is social media soaking into you or ESPN soaking into you? Not that any of those things are bad. They're both on my phone. I look at them daily, but they're not the main ingredient of my mental marinade. So we gotta connect physically and, and meditate deeply. Look at this passage from Matthew 4, 4 that goes to this theme. It's Jesus talking. Let's read it together. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know who those words are directed at? Satan. Jesus is being tempted and he's in a, under pressure, he's, he's alone by himself, and Satan is tempting him to exercise his power as God to turn a stone into bread, and Jesus isn't taking the bait. And so what does Jesus do? Out of his mouth comes the word of God, because it's in him, and he says, it is written, and then he paints this picture. Sustenance is, is not physical, but... Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's almost 
like when God speaks, we listen. Now, I'm going to say just a couple things about that. When God speaks, the purpose of revelation is not consideration. Or the purpose of revelation is not extended analysis and discussion. The purpose of revelation is application. Let's say that together. The purpose of revelation is application. You can go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God, but that which is revealed belongs to us that we may follow all the words of this law. Okay, so when God talks, he expects us to internalize what he's saying and do what he says. That's God's expectation. What's your expectation? So we connect physically, we meditate deeply. Okay, those are abiding behaviors. Third, I dialogue personally. I talk with God. I pray. In Matthew 6, 6 through 8, Jesus is talking about this theme, and he kind of connects all of these concepts, concepts of withdrawing and, and talking to God and being with God when uh, he says this. Let's read it together. Ready? But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The source doesn't need the branch. The branch needs the source. Now, God loves when you come and meet with him. God loves when you come and talk with him. But he already knows what you're going to say before you say it. He already knows your needs. This is for you, not for him. But he really enjoys that you come to him and that you do this with him. right? And Jesus, do you notice the whole picture? It's just like, but when you pray, and this is his teaching to his followers, first major message, hey, this is how this works. All right. When you pray, get by yourself. All right. Create some space for yourself to be with God and to have a transparent, honest, non-religious conversation about the realities of your life and what's going on. Okay, we complicate it. And Jesus is trying to uncomplicate it. It's like don't don't feel like you have to go on and and, and babble. You know, don't you don't have to use big religious words, you just have to have an honest conversation that's transparent, that's really revealing your insides to God because he's not concerned with your outsides, amen? So let's say connect physically, meditate deeply, dialogue personally. All right, these are the abiding behaviors of Jesus. This is what Jesus taught, this is what Jesus did, all right? The next abiding behavior is I trust implicitly. So I'm with God. I'm meditating on his words. We're having a conversation. And then as we just learned, truth comes out. But I'm not going to transform unless I trust it. Because truth only transforms a man when he trusts it. Right? Listen to Jesus in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. All right? Let's read it together. 
Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. You see what's going on here? It's this picture of modeling and mentoring between a father and a son. So the son sees what the father does. He says, I trust that, I do that. Let's say that together. I trust that, I do that. Say it again. I trust that, I do that. Yeah, so he sees, he sees, look at what Jesus said. He says, the son can do nothing by himself, so what does the son do, all right? He only does, does what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So there's this trust there That whatever the father says, whatever the father does, I'm going to do what the father says, and I'm going to do what the father does. See, that's trust, right? And so that's the next abiding behavior. If I'm connecting physically, right, and if I'm meditating deeply, and if I'm dialoguing personally, what's God looking for from me? He's looking for transformation, but the truth that I see him modeling or I, I hear him saying doesn't transform me where I become a disciple unless I trust it, right? So what has God said or what does Jesus Christ do that we need to see and do or hear and do? That's the question this morning. That's what God's saying to you because then you're a disciple. You're abiding and then you're bearing fruit, all right? So I trust implicitly. The next abiding behavior goes, is connected to this issue of trusting and it's I respond obediently, I respond obediently. It's all going somewhere. Do you see how life is coming from God into you, how you're abiding in God, you're abiding in the Father, you're connecting physically, right? You're dialoguing personally, you're meditating deeply, you're connecting with God. All of a sudden, you're internalizing this stuff to say, you know what, I'm gonna trust this. Now I have to respond actually, right? Look at what Jesus says. This is again, his life his words, John 8, 29. Let's read, that. Let's read what Jesus says. Ready? The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So there, you might want to circle that. I always do what pleases him. So Jesus says, you know what? I'm, I'm not alone. No, God's with me. I'm abiding. I'm connected, I'm connected to the Father. All right? He hasn't left me alone. I'm always with him. Why? Because I'm doing these abiding behaviors. I'm connecting physically. I'm meditating deeply. deeply. I'm trusting implicitly. I'm responding obediently. I'm, I'm doing what God has told me to do. And, and Jesus, when you watch him in the New Testament, it's so uncomplicated. He walks into so many different situations, right? Religious situations, uh, governmental and political situations, receiver, moral situations, ethnic situations, all right? Ethical dilemmas, and all Jesus does is he pleases the Father in those situations. What does he do? He does whatever shows love for God and people. Two convictions, many expressions. Say that with me. Two convictions, many expressions. Right, so Jesus is intuitive. Isn't, doesn't everything become great when it becomes intuitive? Soccer becomes great when it becomes intuitive. When teams are clicking, the game is intuitive, Right? done their homework, they played, have experience, and they just choose spontaneously on the fly. Man, if you're committed to loving God and loving people, 
If you're intuitive in those ways, if you're thinking, you're having a conversation with God, you're abiding in the vine, God's gonna always continually say to you these things that reinforce, hey, love me and love others, love me and love others. And it comes out in many different ways in the scripture. So when you walk into the situation, because Jesus lives in you and you're his disciple and you're a convinced follower, you're a learner from him, Jesus wants you to be intuitive, not religious. You're gonna do that thing that shows love for God and people, whether it's with your wife, with a friend, with a coworker, with a complete stranger in your community. Do that thing, Heir to the conservative, amen? Just heir to the conservative because there's competing voices, right? There's my, there's my agenda and the voice of my agenda and the voice of my schedule and the voice of my convenience and the voice of my comfort. Then there's the voice of Christ. And you see, this is where the Christian life becomes very powerful is when you're abiding in the vine and truth is being transferred to you from the vine and as you connect with the truth, the person of truth and the word of truth and you talk about the truth that God is telling you and then you start trusting the truth and then you start obeying the truth obediently, what does it look like? Just like, I'm gonna do that thing that shows love for God and people. Jesus said, I always do the things that, uh, that please him. Right? So let's uncomplicate the, the, the life of abiding and, and, and live it out simply. And then lastly, here's the last abiding behavior from the life of Jesus is I serve willingly. I don't know about you, but every time I serve the Lord, I get closer to the Lord. Amen? You know, where, whether you're serving the Lord through serving your family or whether you're serving the Lord directly in ministry or whether you're connected to your local church using your gift that God has given you your natural gifts and your spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. If you do that, you're abiding in, in Christ. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 20. Let's read it together. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love those words, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I say that a lot. I whisper that self to myself a lot. Why? Because I want to abide. When I walk into the kitchen and my wife has made a meal and it looks like she's cooked with C4 explosive, that's what I say. The Son of Man did not come to be served, <laughs> but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Man. Lord, thank you for food. Thank you for a meal. Thank you for just changes my, my perspective and I continue to abide and walk with God just in a normal, natural way. But when you serve the Lord, you get closer to the Lord. I'm sorry. There's no other way around it. And you know what? The world would convince you you have so many other important things to do than to serve the Lord. If you belong to this church, you should be serving the Lord. You should be edified. We need you. I tell people all the time that I bump into on campus, so does Pastor JP. Man, we need you. For new members class, we need you. We need your gifts. The Bible says that there's, there's 22 gifts that are deposited in the life of a believer and not everybody has them all. So since not everybody has them all, we need your gift to build up the body. Question, are you serving the Lord? I'm not talking about out there, you know, but in here where you're supposed to be serving and then serving other people by sharing the gospel. So those are the abiding behaviors. That's how you see Jesus stay close to the Father and Jesus lives in us. Doesn't that make sense that we would be doing these same things if Jesus lives in us, that his, 
his character and conduct would be coming out. We should be connecting physically with God. We should be meditating deeply on the word of God. We should be dialoguing personally. We should be trusting implicitly, responding obediently, serving willingly, because that's Jesus. And the Bible says in Galatians 4, 6, that God has poured the spirit of his son into us. And so if the spirit of his son is in us, this is the modeling, mentoring, and messaging of abiding so that we can now show ourselves to be disciples and produce fruit. So now let's look at um, how true abiding produces the truest fruit. And I'm going to make this simple too. What's the truest fruit that creates all these, these other actions and fruits that represent disciples? Okay, well, the first true fruit is the character of Christ. Write that down. True abiding produces the truest fruit. What is the truest fruit that God wants to see happen in your life? Let's read 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we'll find out. Ready? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you see what the mission of the Holy Spirit is in your life? That spirit that gets deposited you in you when you say yes to Jesus? is to make you like Christ. Not on the outside, not to make you religious, but to make you like Christ on the inside. All right, you're thinking, you're believing the way you approach situations. He wants you to think and believe and be like in your character, like Christ. And I'm very encouraged by by these, these, these four words, with ever-increasing glory. You know what that suggests? A process. Amen? We're all works in process, right? We come into Christ. God wants to make us like Christ. There's a process of becoming like Christ. And when we contemplate the Lord, all right, we're being transformed into his image. That's what God wants. That's the highest most noblest vision God has for you. It's not to go on a mission trip or even read your Bible or be a part of a men's group. Those things are tools that God uses for this one true mission that he has in your life, which is to make you like Jesus. Talks uh, about this in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Let's read it together. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. You see the compare and contrast? We're no longer to be children. We are to grow up into all aspects into him. How many aspects are we to grow up in? all aspects. That means there's room for growth in this room. That means there's room for growth in your life. I don't care if you've been a Christian four days or 40 years, there's room for you to grow. You're gonna grow up into all aspects. So the question then is, Lord, what aspect of being like Christ do you want me to grow up in? You know, it's just a picture of maturity, okay? There's, there's children and then there's men. Right? Don't you think the world needs a few less boys and a few more men in the image of Christ? 
That's what the world's hungry for. That's why we're getting together in this community. That's why communities are getting together, watching this Bible study, and they're getting together because they're in that process of growing up into all aspects into Christ. One last verse on this theme. It's from Romans 8, 29. Let's read it together. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. How many brethren? Many brethren. God wants a a movement of men who are in the character of Christ. You know what the world needs? A movement of men in the character of Christ. Blessing women, blessing children, blessing communities, That's why we emphasize men at this church. The greatest gift that Crossline Church can give to its community is a spiritually strong, relationally committed, and emotionally mature man. That's the greatest blessing that we can give. You wanna wanna fix major metro urban cities? Churches need to give the greatest blessing that they can give to those cities. Spiritually strong, emotionally mature, relationally committed men who are dads who lead their homes spiritually, right? So the character of Christ, this is God's highest vision and noblest goal. He wants to make you like Jesus. It's like a a sculptor who has a block of stone. And what does the sculptor, what's the vision in his mind? He has a vision, doesn't he? And then, man, here comes the big chunks. And then as he gets along, it's that's what God's doing with you. He has a vision in his head. And the vision is is the image of Christ, the character of Christ, the nature of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is chipping away things that are not in line with that vision. In fact, the Holy Spirit might be chipping off a big block off off of of that stone in your life to get to the image of Christ. Or maybe God's God's got a little chisel out. Maybe he's fine-tuning. Sometimes big blocks, sometimes fine-chiseling. But we're in that process, and God's got this vision in his head. He goes, man, I want an army of guys that, that, are, that are in the spirit of Christ, that have the spirit of Christ in them, right? So the first true fruit is the character of Christ, and then the second true fruit is the conduct of Christ. Now, we could get into, well, what does that conduct look like? And we could talk about the fruits of the spirit. We could talk about um, what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, but If you have the character of Christ, we don't need to worry about the conduct because conduct is an expression of character. That's right. What's inside will come out. And that's what the Bible talks about. In Luke chapter six, verse 40, Jesus says this. Let's read it together. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Circle fully trained. Look at that. Now, I don't know what's training you to be like Christ. Maybe it's tribulation. Maybe it's trial. Maybe it's delay. Maybe it's difficulty. But those things are training us. Or maybe it's on the, you know, get out of the pressure and furnace side of the training. And maybe it's just Jesus modeling for you as you read his word, maybe Jesus mentoring you, Jesus speaking to you. But Jesus says, you're not gonna get out of that process. Why? Because he wants you to be like him. He wants you to be like him. And he wants uh, what, how he acts to come out of his, his, his character and you to come out in conduct that reflects him. 
They'll be like him. The world will see you as a disciple and go, oh yeah, he's been with Jesus. Okay? In, in Matthew chapter 12, it talks about how disciples, good men, are made, not born. Um, let's read about that together. Matthew 12, 33 to 35. Ready? Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Get the picture? Men are made, not born. Something's making men. Either the truth of Jesus' person and the truth of his word is making you good, or the liar and the lies. Truth versus lies. Here's you, here's your character, here's your insights. Here's the liar and the lies. They're gonna come in and form you from the inside out. And those lies can be very subtle, amen? It can be just the spirit of the world, opinions, pundits, everything that's not of Christ. Then there's Christ and his truth can come in. And that can make you good. Good and evil. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Men are made, not born. The question is, what is making the man? What is shaping his character? Because it's gonna come out and it usually comes out. What's inside of you usually comes out, not when life is a bowl of cherries and everything's going smooth and it's a smooth sail. What's really inside of you comes out under pressure. That's what's gonna come out. Every man will get squeezed, amen? It's like a tube of toothpaste. Once it's out, it's out. And it's gonna come out. Maybe some of, maybe your marriages are squeezing you right now and your true character is coming out and you're like, I don't like what I see. You need to become more like Christ. You need to become more loving. How do I do that? Well, I gotta abide in the vine. See how this all works together? Character and conduct, all right? You don't get the character of Christ and the conduct of Christ unless you're abiding in Christ. And you're growing up into all aspects. What Jesus says, Matthew 4, 19, talks about uh, what, what happens in this process. Let's read it together. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. You see, come is the invitation. Follow me is imitation. I will show you how. That's impartation, right? How to fish for people. There's reproduction, Right? That's what's going on in your life. God's, God, through his spirit, using everything in your life, right? that's what the Bible says, God uses all things all right? to make you like his son. There's Romans 8.28 and 8.29. God causes all things to work together. Work together for what? Romans 8.29, to make you like Christ. Okay, He's using all things. And so everything that's going on in your life right, is designed to give you the character of Christ as you follow him and Jesus is showing you a way of, to be and believe and behave that in the end is gonna show yourself to be his disciple and as you show yourself to be his disciple, you're gonna become a fisher of men just like Jesus was, okay? Say this with me, three years, 12 men, 20 centuries. That's what happened. That's what you read about in the New Testament. Jesus started calling men. He said, hey, come and see Come stay with me. And then he spent three years with those guys. And then those guys, Jesus was their mentor. Jesus was their model. And then you read in the book of Acts, 
you see their character that is formed in Christ explode out in Acts 2.14. And Peter stood with the 11. And man, the world has never been the same. Changed Western civilization. You know God does the same thing. He gets inside him a man. He puts him, connects him to the spiritual family with a, with a group of brothers. The brothers get together. They start becoming like Christ and they start receiving truths and living the truths. And then it comes out and they become a blessing to the world. All right. So here's your, here's your little survey, your little inventory. All right. It's right on here on your notes. So imagine zero, 10. And over here on the zero side, same character, same conduct. I'm not changed. People who know me would say, my wife, particularly, if you're connected, people really close to you would go, uh, yeah, you're pretty much the same person as you are. That's not a good evaluation because, because the Bible says that you're supposed to be growing up into all aspects into him because there's room to grow, right? So same character, same plot. Over here, I mean, do people keep seeing the same things, same dysfunction, same insecurity, same behaviors that harm your relationships with God? Do they keep seeing the same thing? Well, the same solutions don't, don't solve that problem, all right? Now, fly over to here, all right? It's new character and new conduct where you're changing. Man, you've really grown in that area. And again, it doesn't matter if you've been a, been a Christian for four days or 40 years. We're always growing. There's room to grow. So that's where the Holy Spirit might be talking to you this morning. All right? It's time to kind of take a God MRI this morning and, and really take an inventory and go, man, this is what Jesus says is a, is a disciple. All right? A disciple is abiding in Christ and producing fruit. Let's say that together. Abiding in Christ and producing fruit. All right, let's bow our heads before our discussion. And let's pray and let's ask God to come right now to this place and into you and for you specifically, not for the guy next to you, to your left or right, but for you specifically to show you where he wants your character and conduct to change. And maybe something new to go after it. Maybe there's an abiding issue Lord, we, we want to abide. You said we're truly your disciples. If we abide in you, we show ourselves, the fruit shows itself, the fruit shows our abiding. And uh, some of us, we're, we're connecting physically, but when we meditate deeply, we have a filter on. And it's to fit the filter of our convenience and our comfort and we're not letting your truth sink in. Lord, some of us are dialoguing personally. We talk to you, but we're not trusting you. We see what you say, but in real time, we keep doing the same things. Lord, some of us are trusting, but we're not responding obediently like you did, really searching to please you in everything we do. And then some of us are plain just not serving. And God, you said greatness involves service. And so, Lord, we want, we want to be a disciple. We want to abide in you. Help us to connect with you, to meditate on what you say, on every word that comes out of your mouth. Help us, help our conversation with you to grow. Help our trust to be implicit and intuitive. Help us to respond obediently to what you're saying, even now. And Lord, when you give us a chance to serve, maybe not the way we think we should be serving, maybe in a new way, maybe in a disruptive way. Help us in faith to choose that because we want the character of Christ right now. We want 
your vision for us to be like him to come true. So chip away, chip away. We're no longer to be children. We're to grow up into all aspects into him. And Lord, if, if we have your character, we know we're assured that the conduct of Christ will come out. The fruit will be good. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, minister to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, show us the ways in which you want us to become more like Christ so we can show ourselves to be your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray and God's men said, amen.